You're good to go there, Jules? Good to go. But good evening and welcome to Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre, where we believe that a church alive is worth a ride if you came on horseback. Also, to those listening on, online, a big welcome to our church family. And uh, I'd just like to encourage everyone today to hook one family, friend or member this week to this podcast. Get them to download the Podbean map and uh, let's get the gospel message out there in the marketplace. And as I was talking about the other day with the Andrew factor, just introducing people to Jesus is often just as simple as saying, hey, download this podcast. That's all it is, pointing people to Jesus where they can hear about him. So I encourage you to do that. And, uh, but anyway, between um, all of eternity past and the eternal future that lies, a period allotted to men on the earth. So there was an eternity past and there is an eternity before us. And bookended between these two eternities, the eternal past and the eternal future, is the total period of time offered return or referred to as the time of Adam's lease. And it's a period of time allotted or allocated to man for the purposes of God to be manifested. God works outside the realm of time and is not bound by it. In regard to time, sometimes I refer to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and it says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. There is a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. What profit has the worker from that is in which he labours? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. And I'll conclude with this verse 11. He, that being God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into the hearts that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Isn't it beautiful, isn't it? A wonderful rendition, not just of personal time allocated to a man, but allocated to men. But we are a God's creation. And so he has made everything beautiful at this time. He has put eternity into our hearts. And you see the world over that there is something eternal born naturally into the heart of every man, woman, or child. But released from the constraint of time is eternity. And the yearning of every heart and soul is found in that. Everybody yearns for that something which is eternal, that which is heavenly. But from the outset, in contrast to man, God, the one who is and who was and who is to come, exists. And therefore, God himself operates outside the realm of time. And God is not contained by time. 
He is not contained by time. Time was that which is allocated to men. But God doesn't work within the parameters of time. But we, God's creation, we certainly are. There is a saying that goes, oh, his time is up. (laughs) Isn't that what we say, isn't it? The whole cosmetic industry is based on the false premise that we can somehow turn back the clock and restore our youth and lost time. Amen? The whole cosmetic industry does that. This is, of course, we all know will be ultimately futile, but many of us would like to look up into the sky and say, sun, stand still, as Joshua did when the Lord delivered the Amorites before the children of Israel in Joshua chapter 10. However, I still do endorse the use of moisturising and replenishing cream, vitamin E and sunblock, as we are to be good stewards of what God has given us, amen? And a little bit of lipstick, that's fine. You may as well pretty ourselves up, amen? And so, um, but the title of my message tonight is, The Clock is Ticking. And sometimes we look in the mirror and we can say, well, it certainly is. Since the days of creation, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, up until the end, up until that end of the millennial reign, is what we call the dispensation allocated to men. It's true, isn't it? From the time that Adam and Eve were in the garden, right through to the end of the thousand-year millennial reign, which is just around the corner, is the dispensation allocated to men. And so, man was made out of the, uh, the dust of the earth, outside the garden, and woman from the rib of man within the garden. Men have been trying to wipe the dust from his feet before entering the home ever since. But it's true, isn't it? Men are just like that. Unsuccessfully, I might add. Jules is always racing after me with one of those little hoover dookies. It's about a foot long, but it zips away all the dust as I walk through the house. But man was created as a free moral agent with a capability to choose. You and I were created with an ability free to think, free to choose, and free to act. And we bear the consequences of all those things that we do. In doing all those things, there are consequences to how we do and exercise those freedoms. And we don't have to observe for too long in this life that the freedoms that so many choose to exercise can often come at great expense to others. It's true, isn't it? Others' freedoms sometimes can come at great expense to other people. Bible scholars have further divided the period of time allocated to man on the earth into seven dispensations between these two eternities, past and future. And so the dispensations of men uh, that theologians tell us, there is a dispensation of innocence. I'll go through very briefly seven of them. And so we get a good idea of where we are on this time clock and that the time clock is ticking. Turn to the person next to you and say, the time is ticking away. Oh, time's ticking away. Man in the garden, in the most favorable and perfect conditions with just one command to obey. How did we go? (laughs) One job. One job, Adam. One job, we would say on the job side. One job, Jeff, and what did you do with it? 
We could say that to Adam. The first thing we'll say to Adam when we get to heaven, one job, Adam, one job. Leave the fruit alone, for goodness sake. How do we go? But, but following that dispensation of innocence, which probably didn't last for too long before we failed, we came into the dispensation of conscience. And so we were totally free from that one command. And so man, now free from even the one law given to him in the garden, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And there was no written law and there was no Ten Commandments. Think of that. Right up until the time of the 600th year of Noah, there was not one written law for man. And so we came into a dispensation of conscience, bringing in a new beginning, a knowledge of God and a new covenant Man was led up until this time by his conscience only, as there was no written law. And so after the time of Noah, we came into a dispensation then. This is now the third in dispensation. The clock was ticking, and that previous dispensation of conscience came to an end with the flood. It was done. God's time clock was ticking, and the button was pressed. It was done. After the flood, laws were given now to govern. And from the time of Noah to the call of Abraham, we had Nimrod, the Tower of Babel, to Ur of the Chaldeans, and human government expanded. Liberal from God's law, but it led then, uh, when Abraham was called, it brought us then into the dispensation of promise. Promises and covenants made with God and his seed and there would become a promised seed fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. This led us then into, the, the clock was click, uh, ticking away, and it brought us into the dispensation of the law. And we know that from the book of Exodus of Egypt, the giving of the law to Moses, to the preaching of heaven by John the Baptist, this dispensation of the law was, in, was active. When John the Baptist finished preaching... We came then into the sixth dispensation, which is the dis dispensation of grace. And because of the fullness of grace, which came through Jesus Christ, man had grace in previous times, but not in the fullness which came through Jesus Christ. In the same way, man had always had laws, but the fullness of the law came by Moses. And so we are now currently living in this dispensation of grace. So the law or the dispensation which all mankind currently now is, is in the sixth dispensation, the dispensation of grace. This will now give way very, very shortly to a dispensation of good divine government, one we're all looking forward to, or millennial or the millennial age to come. And it is a time when the divine government of God will take over all human government. And who's looking forward to that day? Amen? We all are. We know it's, it's never going to be easier under Albanese. But under Jesus Christ, it's going to be wonderful. Amen? Doesn't matter what government that you have, there is always going to be great failings. If it's, if it's anything to do with mankind, it'll come up with shortcomings. And uh, I've got plenty of those too. So... These seven dispensations cover really the seven-day creation week of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And uh, in the seven-day creation week, we know in Scripture that one day is as a thousand years, 
and a thousand years as a day. And so we can see that the dispensations of time will cover an approximate period of around about 7,000 years. What's recorded history is man's recorded history. The earth may be older than the six or seven, uh, the six or seven thousand years, we know that. But basically, it is about a 7,000 year period which we have recorded in the earth today. And we are currently, as you know, in the dispensation or the age of grace. I love what John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so for this last 2,000 years, we have been in a dispensation or a time period of grace, and it has been a wonderful period. And once again, it is not that God has not in the past exercised or granted grace, but in the fullness of time, Christ was revealed to express the fullness of God's grace. Does that make sense? It's not that God was never graceful, He has always been graceful, but the fullness of God's grace is manifested in the person of Himself, in the form of Jesus Christ. And so this age of grace is often called the church age, where the bow was cut off, that the nations of the earth would be grafted in. And that has occurred over the last 2,000 years. It's also called, for that very reason, the times of the Gentiles. 2,000 years ago, the only people who really had a knowledge and were walking in the ways of God were the Jewish people. But up in, in this last 2,000 years, people from all of the nations of the earth have been worshipping the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This, this age is also known as the latter days, or Peter quoted from Joel 2.28 in Acts 2.17, or the end of days, or the last days, as it says in uh, 2 Timothy 3.1. Now, so for some 2,000 years, the earth has experienced the emergence of this new body called the church, which has been a blessing to all the earth. Wherever you see the blessing of God, you can see and know that the hand of God has been working through His church, which Jesus Christ is the head. And so, but at this period of time, there seems to be amongst most people on the earth a great uneasiness in the time which we now live. An, une an, un an uneasiness which 10 years ago none of us really felt to the extent which we do right now. An uneasiness that we never really even felt about two years ago. And certainly it is escalating, not by the month, but by the week and by the day we have seen in recent times. Recent times we've seen churches close. We, in recent times we have seen situations where you were not allowed to sing in church or have communion or share a cup of coffee after church. Meanwhile, you could go down to the Westfield Shopping Centre down in Brisbane and there were 6,200 car parks and you couldn't find one. But the place was packed to the gills and people scoffing dinners and dim sims and chips all over the place. But in church, we were not able to have communion or a wafer biscuit. Isn't there something wrong? Do we ask ourselves? I was sent a text and a little YouTube thing this week from Bree. And we've got to ask ourselves, is there something wrong here? We are living in very, very strange days. And I wouldn't be preaching this message even two or three years ago, how much it has escalated. Uh, 
Shopping centres remain open and essential services such as massage parlours and brothels remain open as an essential service. Does something call you and think about and you think, well, something's not quite right here? Does anybody ask themselves those sort of basic questions? Surveillance on an international scale. An iPhone which I have which monitors our conversations, making helpful suggestions what I should search for next. That's my iPhone in my pocket. Surveillance on an international scale. And in my bedroom, I've got an iPhone which I should turn off and not have in my room. Apps to allow or restrict entry and with the best agricultural outputs in farming technology in history, we now see half-empty shelves in our supermarkets while farmers are paid not to produce product and we must be thinking, what is going on here? We are living in very, very strange times and the clock is ticking. We have been teaching and preaching about end times for a whole generation now. And a lot of people must be thinking to themselves, we've heard all these things before. And that could be true, but there is tr tremendous clarity coming to all our end time scriptures, scriptures as progressive revelation is unfolding before our very eyes. And what we are sensing, what we are seeing, and what we are witnessing is a change or a shift from one dispensation to another. That is what we're experiencing. Are you feeling uneasy? Are you feeling a little bit uncomfortable that with the things that we see on a day-to-day -day and hourly basis now? We only turn on the TV to get shocked, only to turn it on again five minutes later to get even more shocked. It's incredible, isn't it? We are all aware that there are things happening all around and we know something is not right. What we are feeling, what we are witnessing is a transitioning from a dispensation of time to the next, before our very eyes. I believe in this very generation, things are escalating at such an alarming rate, I will never have preached a message like this even five years ago. I knew things were hotting up, that's for sure. But there is an interim period between the end of the church age, or this age of grace, and the millennial age, which is to come just around the corner. I bring this word now not as to scare you or alarm you, but to prepare you, as I believe the Lord has asked me to begin to prepare the church for the day in which we live is very, very near. We teach and preach these things as if it's for the next generation. I do not preach it like that. I preach it as if it could happen tomorrow morning. And I'm not being an alarmist, but I believe for me not to do it would be a watchman standing on the walls and not blowing a trumpet. Amen? It is my job to blow the trumpet, not to alarm you, not to scare you, but to prepare you. Before the Lord returns to come and rule in the millennial reign of 1,000 years, in this new dispensation called the millennial reign, that is the next major dispensation. But there are a number of things to happen on the earth which we should know and be aware of and even to look for. They're not huge in number, 
but we as a church and as believers should inform our husbands, our wives, and even our children, not to alarm them, but to prepare them, okay? That's what it's for. Scholars of great Christian character and learning can and do differ in the exact timing and the sequence of the events which I'm going to briefly cover tonight and should not be a reason to break fellowship with people of differing views. There are differing views of the time and the sequence of the things which I'm going to bring to you tonight very briefly. There are differing thoughts about how they will pan out. Some people resign themselves to the pan theory, meaning that God is sovereign and it will all pan out. Amen? And it's not a bad theory. It's okay. It means we just trust God. Amen? And it's a good thing. But I still believe that God wants us to be very aware of the day and the season in which we live. Amen? Because this will be the church's finest hour for those who want to partake and be part of the action. Victor, I can't see you hanging back. I can't see you at the forefront with a sword in one hand and a shield of faith in the other. And uh, you, you and Bree, you'll be out there in the front. And uh, you're people of action. And there will be Christians and there will be churches of action. Amen? There will be churches who are prepared, spiritually prepared. And you will be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Amen? It won't be your own might, but it'll be His might. But it'll be a resource and power that we as individuals and the church need to tap into. And we can all be part of it. Oh, this can be a wonderful time to be. Oh, we're the Elijahs of the day, amen. And uh, there's some great battles ahead of us, but Jesus Christ has already won the victory, amen. And so it is a glorious time for the church. It is not a time to shirk away, but it is time to get fair dinkum. If we're fair dinkum, a lot of Aussies say, oh, I'm fair dinkum, but I only, I'm, a, I'm a witness. The fair dinkum ones are fair dinkum, that's all I see. But there is a lot of people who think they're fair dinkum, but they're really not. Before Christ returns, bringing an end to the earthly kingdoms of men, as in Daniel's explanation of the dream in Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2.45, uh, briefly go to uh, Daniel 2.45. Let me just get there very, very quickly. And there it says, and uh, this is when Daniel is explaining Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It's got uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. There it is, right at the end. He is the last of the four major writing prophets. There it is, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. There it is. And so it is, uh, Daniel's not a big book, but it's a fantastic book. And, it's, and uh, Daniel is explaining the, uh, the, uh, the major players of the kingdoms of the earth. But it says, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall be left uh, to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. And it's talking about, Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, 
In other words, it was describing the Babylonian kingdom. It was describing the Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, the Roman kingdom, and the revised Roman empire with ten kings, partly of iron and partly of clay. And it says, a stone came out of the mountain, not cut with man's hands, and that is the millennial reign, where that stone will crush every uh, major, every kingdom of man on the earth and establish the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. And so, but there is three things that will come about before we enter into the millennial reign, on which I briefly mentioned tonight. There is the revealing of the Antichrist, Amen. And everybody has heard of the Antichrist. It talks about in Revelations chapter 13 and verses 17, you will neither be able to buy nor sell unless you have the name or the number of his name, 666. In other words, you won't be able to purchase anything. You won't be able to buy anything. You won't be able to sell anything. You won't be able to park your car. You won't be able to do your banking unless you have this particular number, 666. And so this is the revealing of the Antichrist. And in the midst, in this very generation, and I believe within even, a, even months to come, there will be possibly a revealing of the Antichrist. Many people are very convinced of who he is right now, this very day. I'm fairly certain myself who he is right now. Out of the shadows emerges the man called the son of perdition or the lawless one. And we read in Daniel chapter 8, going on a couple of chapters from where we were before, and uh, there we are in Daniel chapter 8 and verses 23 to 25, and it says, in the latter times of their kingdom, that is in the day in which we live now, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, in other words, sin is reaching to the fullness of heaven, and we turn on our TVs and we see things that are happening in our schools and here and there and just about everywhere, and we're just flabbergasted and thinking, how did we get here? And it says, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. In other words, he's got an answer to every dark thing. Who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. That's us. That's us. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, lies and deception. And he shall exalt himself in his heart, and he shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise against the prince of princes, which is Jesus Christ, but he shall be broken without human means. Oh, isn't that good? And it says in other places, numerous, he shall be destroyed by the breath of God's mouth. And it'd be like this. God will be walking along and this adversary who's been plaguing the earth for 6,000 years, God will go, and he'll be gone. He says, let's go and have a cup of tea. That's, thank God that's finished with. And the Lord will bring us into a brand new dispensation, the millennial age. And the, Satan will be cast into the bottomless pit. But it's been said when you read these scriptures regarding Satan, and I'm not certainly going there tonight, but he will be an absolute genius in the world's eyes. It says he will be an oratorical genius. He will have the right word to say at the right moment in time. He, will have, he understands dark 
dark and sinister things, when nobody has answers, he will just go, why don't we just do that? And it will be the exact right thing and everybody will be, the world will love this man of lawlessness. They will fall in love with him in a moment in time. He will be a commercial genius. In other words, the World Economic Forum go-to man will be the uh, son of perdition, this satanic person. He will be the go-to man of the World Economic Forum and they will recognize him immediately. And he will be a military genius. The Bible says, who can make war against him? Who can make war against him? He will have the authority and the delegated power from all world powers handed to him on a platter. There is somebody on the earth right now almost with this, it hasn't been revealed to people yet, a military genius. He will be a governmental genius. World powers will unite under him. World powers will unite under him. And he will be a religious genius. A religious genius. And you would say the uh, World Council of Churches and so many. And uh, we see somebody the other day at a coronation. And he was going to be a defender of, of faith. Not defender of the faith but a defender of faith. Amen? What a vast difference there is in that meaning just there. And so, like Gandhi said himself, I am all Muslim, I am all Hindu, I am all Christian, I am all illogical. <laughs> he didn't add that bit, did he? But it sounds good in the eyes of the world. And this uh, satanic person, Satan himself, embodied in a world leader, will be a religious genius who walks the tightrope of all religions and makes them all very, very acceptable and palatable. Our new Bibles are very, very much watered down. They take out the blood. They take out the, the word hell. They take out this word and they take out that word. They take out hundreds and alter hundreds of verses, alter hundreds of verses from the original King James versions and so forth. By, from the Byzantine text. Uh, and so we see that there is one way of making the gospel of Jesus Christ just palatable to all men. Just take away the blood. Just take away the authority of Jesus Christ from the scriptures. Water it all down so it all means nothing. But the second great thing after the revelation of the Antichrist or the revealing of the Antichrist to the world, I believe you and I will know who he is very, very plainly. And people should be aware and even looking for who this person will be. Why? Because we are, we are people who proclaim the gospel. And to be informed is to be forewarned. Amen? And so there is a catching away of the saints. That is the second thing that will be here. I'm only going to cover three things because they are the three major things to happen before the coming in of this new dispensation of time. I'd like to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if I could. Thank you. And so it is 1 Thessalonians. I pray that you're taking some notes. For the, it says in, four, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, it says... For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so we call this word here the taking away or the catching up of the church. We call it the rapture of the church. The word raptured itself doesn't occur in Scripture, but this is what it speaks of. Hapazo is the Greek word meaning a catching away of the saints. And so that is the second uh, great thing that will occur before we enter this new millennium age or this last dispensation of time. And so the third thing then there is the seven tribulation period, a total of seven years. And so there is the third. So the first is the revelation of the Antichrist or the revealing of the Antichrist. The second then is the catching of the way of the saints or the rapture of the church. And then there is the seven-year tribulation period. And now the seven-year tribulation period is divided into, into two three-and-a-half-year periods each of 42 months. Three-and-a-half years is 42 months. And so the tribulation period is a period of seven years and there is a distinct halving. Jesus' ministry was three and a half years. When Elijah says it shall not rain, it lasted for three and a half years. The tribulation period or the great tribulation is three and a half years. Three and a half years in, in Scripture is always significant. And so the tribulation period is referred to as Daniel's 70th week. And so the whole of history from the time of Daniel right through to the end of the millennial age is caught up in Daniel's 70 weeks of seven or the year of Jacob's trouble. So two, three and a half year periods of 42 weeks each. So the Antichrist appears as a man of peace and it says in scripture that he holds a bow but no arrows. And when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he holds a bow. In other words, he holds power, he holds authority, but the arrows are concealed. Isn't that interesting? In other words, he does not make himself plainly known to the world or what he is capable or will do. But it does go on to say then, the Antichrist appears as a man of peace, holding a bow, his arrows concealed, and he masquerades as a person of peace. The, the, there is only one prince of peace, amen? But the Antichrist will always come as a counterfeit because he was, remember, Satan himself was the chief worshipper in heaven and he observed everything in heaven and everything that the devil does on earth is a counterfeit of what he did in, in heaven, amen? A counterfeit. As there is a holy trinity, there is an unholy trinity. Same. He is a counterfeit. And you will see everything replicated in heaven, everything that God is, everything that God does is replicated as a counterfeit and an opposite. And so there's the great tribulation and the great tribulation is basically the period when Satan comes out and reveals who he really is. The mask comes off, the arrows comes out and he makes war on the saints. Amen? A and... Uh, Three and a half years of mass bloodshed the world has never witnessed. The Lord cuts this period short on behalf of the saints. Amen? 
And so for those who were not prepared to go in the tribulation period, those who have not, con not confessed Christ, there will be many millions, tens of millions of people who will give their life to Christ through this great tribulation period. There will be some who miss the boat. I had my brother print up, a Pastor Tom did, and a, a sticker, and it was called Don't Miss the Rapture. And it was, and this is when I had a revelation of Second Thessalonians, and, uh, and uh, Pastor Tom grabbed hold of that, and he said, let's get your brother to type up a sticker, and we put it on our bumper bars. Robert printed up about a thousand of these, and it was, don't miss the rapture. So the warning to this church, or people sitting in church, just because we're sitting in church doesn't make, make us a Christian, or it doesn't make us ready, and the Lord will bring those who are ready. The Lord will bring those who are ready. If you're not ready, it's possible that you will have to go through this great tribulation period. It is possible. And so I always encourage people, get right with God. Do it now. Don't run up the, the Christian sideline of the football field and be T-boned and taken out of play and be left right out. It's a bad position to play. Who likes to play halfback or in the front row or on the back line or something like that, but to be left right out is not a good... Who likes sitting on the bench? But Christians who walk or run down the margin or down the line of almost straddling the world and straddling the church can be taken out so easily. And I always encourage believers, get right with God and play centre field. Play centre field. Give up on these things. Give up on the ways of the world and get fair income with God. Get fair income with God. Get fair income with God. I'd like to close now and go to Matthew chapter 24. And Matthew 24 is the end time scriptures in the gospel of Matthew. It equates to Luke 21 and Mark 13. And you can, you can read those three end time scriptures regarding this period of time which we have spoken about but the greatest thing that the devil will use to get at the church will be deception it was deception that brought about the fall in the garden of Eden and the devil knows scripture he said to uh, Eve, did God really say? And the boldness and the brazenness of Satan himself, after Jesus was baptized, the Holy Ghost took Jesus or drove Jesus into the wilderness. And there Satan tempted Jesus. And then he quoted scripture. Satan knows scripture. And so the Antichrist, when he comes in fullness, will quote scripture. He will quote scripture better than a lot of Christians will. He knows scripture, but he always puts a twist on scripture. When he quoted scripture in Mark 4.4 and Luke 4.4, sorry, Matthew 4.4 and Luke 4.4, identical. It is written, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the, or proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus answered Satan with scripture. But Satan will always quote scripture, but will always leave a word or two out or twist it or say it in such a way that it never, that it loses original meaning. And that's what 
Satan does best. In Matthew, 20, in Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13 say the same thing. It starts out exactly the same. Take heed that no one deceives you. You say, the only thing wrong with deception is you don't know you're in it. Amen. People who are in deception are fully convinced of what they're doing is right. And that's why a Christian needs to be a student of the Word of God. I pray that you go home and go over these scriptures and say, now how do we derive that meaning that we're talking about tonight? Go through and read these scriptures because deception will be the number one thing that takes Christians out. Number one, it will not be them losing their head. It will not be earthquakes. It will not be famines. It will not be pestilence. These things are mentioned in Gospel of Matthew 24, but the word deception is mentioned five times in this one chapter. Five times the word deceiving and deception. Five times. Deception will be the greatest killer. Deception. And so five times, no earthquakes, no disease, not warfare. Deception has always been Satan's main method and main weapon. And it is still that what it is to come. Deception is what will take much of the church out. It will take much of the lukewarm church out. And lukewarm, which is absolutely something that God hates. He says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It says in the book of Revelations, which means that God will take the lukewarm Christian out of the body. That's how he is eliminated. And lukewarmness is where light meets darkness. You see how a, uh, running a lukewarm Christian life is dangerous. There's great danger in running a lukewarm life, Christian life. I say, get on with God. I'd like to finish with a, a powerful conclusion. And it's in Luke's Gospel 21, which is the equivalent of Matthew's chapter 24. Luke 21, I'll come to it in just one moment. And there it is. Starting from uh, Luke 21, verse 25, and there will be signs, this is Jesus speaking, and there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. In other words, God uses the heavens and the earth as a billboard for what he is about to do. And on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Men will be trapped in tremendous fear, tremendous fear. The world will be caught up in a level of fear that has never seen in the whole history of mankind. Then all the earth, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Oh, here is an encouraging word for us. Now, when these things begin to happen, it says, look up. This is Jesus speaking. Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. Oh, it's exciting stuff. It's exciting stuff. Paul said, I know in whom I have believed. And we as believers will have tremendous confidence. There will be tremendous joy. And in the midst of the things that are coming upon the earth, 
I believe many, many Christians will not experience the tribulation nor the great tribulation. That is true. But sadly to say, there will be some who will definitely go through this tribulation and great tribulation period. But they need not have gone through it. But sadly, many will go through it. And I I think uh, many people preach that the whole of the church will just be taken out. And that would be a glorious thing to think. But for me, I cannot see it in Scripture how the whole of the church, even in a totally backslidden state, will be taken out from the great tribulation when they are not living for God. And so I say, don't risk it. Perhaps it will be God's grace, but I believe don't risk it. I say these things not to alarm nor to harm, but to encourage and to strengthen, as I believe the church forewarned is a church that is forearmed, and that we are to put on the whole armor of God. I'll be preaching many messages for the remainder of the year on putting on the whole armor of God, taking the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We have been given plenty, plenty of armor for this period of time in which we live. And I pray that you stand to your feet right now. And I'd just like to pray for us all before we go. I pray that this message still is encouraging to to you. The three major things that are coming upon the earth, I believe within even months, some of these things could be begin to be unraveled and unveiled. There will be the Antichrist being revealed. I believe the church will be the first to recognize who the Antichrist will be. I don't believe others will be. I believe the church will be the first. We see there is the rapture of the church and there is the great tribulation period, the three and a half years of relative peace, followed by a massive great tribulation where the book of Revelations reveals just on one line alone that in one instance, a quarter of the earth's population will be taken out in one go. That is, we're talking about billions of people. Amen? And so we are coming through an uncertain age. But in the midst of great turmoil, the Lord says, Peace I leave you and peace I give to you. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace and it's a great opportunity to get absolutely right with God and right on board. We are living in an exciting days, exciting days. And as Jonathan Kahn said, if these are the days of Elijah, then you are the Elijahs of the day. And it's going to be, oh, it's going to be one of the most exciting periods in all the earth's history. Father, I pray, Lord, for this body of believers today. For those listening online, I pray, Father, right now, empower your church, Lord God, this day. Let a spirit of a warrior in the spirit rise up within us, Father God. We throw off complacency. We throw off apathy. We throw off sin, Father God. We throw off a love for the things of the earth and of the world. Sin, flesh, and the devil. I say no in the name of Jesus. I say no in the name of Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the whole armor of God. Equip us, Lord God, we pray today. Let that be the cry of your heart. Equip, Lord God, your servant this day and your servants listening online. Equip them, Lord God, today for the exciting day in which we live. Oh, and give the Lord praise in the house of God tonight. Come on, let's give him praise in the house.